Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. And by Sheward and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Muhammad Yunus is a Nobel Prize winning economist. He is the inventor of what is called the microeconomy. He came up with the idea of make, making microloans to people in third world countries so that they could start a small business. Eunice's latest thoughts on the capitalist economy include the opinion that one of the biggest stumbling blocks to happiness and the fulfillment of our true human nature is that too many of us think about getting a job. Instead, we should be thinking about how we could be entrepreneurial and work for ourselves. You might wonder, if we all did that, what would happen to Apple, Google, Walmart, and all the other large companies that we depend on? We can put that question to my lunch guest today. Both of them have thrown off the shackles of education and employment, respectively, to follow their own entrepreneurial paths. Nathaniel Johnson was majoring in business at LSU when he decided to short-circuit the whole process. He dropped out of business school to open a business. In 2007, Nathaniel opened Cafe Mosaic, a coffee shop in Eunice. He then moved to Lafayette and opened another one, Rev, on Jefferson Street. Today, Rev is more than a coffee shop. It's also a brand of coffee available around the state and across the country. It's made from beans roasted by Nathaniel or one of his 42 employees. Nathaniel, quite a success story and a role model for kids in business school everywhere. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Glad to be here. Kelly Guidry has a website called chainsawguy.com. If you've ever stood in front of a mirror rehearsing how you're going to explain something difficult to your husband, wife, or parents, you can only imagine Kelly's speech in which he had to rationalize quitting work as a successful graphic designer with a paycheck to throw himself into a career of chainsaw artist. Going on for 20 years later, you can find Kelly's artwork in homes and collections locally and all over the country, thanks mostly to his marketing strategy of selling these pieces at festivals, including Festival International and Jazz Fest in New Orleans. Kelly, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Nathaniel, thanks to Starbucks, the coffee fad has literally swept the developed world. You're obviously a smart business person, but is the smartest thing you did to jump onto the coffee fed and open coffee shops in places where there weren't any? Or did you start with a personal vision and a business plan that incorporated local knowledge in a way that Starbucks couldn't? Uh, I would have to say it was probably both. Um, I think it's important uh, when you're opening a business to um, see a need that needs to be met and then meet that need. Um, so when I was uh, 16 in uh, Eunice in a small town, about 11,000 people, uh, I realized that, you know, how much I loved coffee and, you know, coffee shop scene and all that good stuff. Um, and when I got a little bit older, when I went to college and I realized, you know what, you know, this town really needs a place to um, study and all that good, you know, all the things like that. And, and so I decided, you know, I wanted to meet that need that was, that was there. So 
I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Starbucks did play a, a massive role in creating that culture that you know we needed, and um, they did the same thing. They saw a need and they wanted to meet that need, and um, so that was just kind of my same philosophy. And it just happened to be in a place that had no other coffee shops around. So, what made you think you should be the person to do that? Because other people see a need and think someone should open a coffee shop here. You were sure. how old? I was 21. You were 21. What made you think you should be the person to open the coffee shop? I it was tunnel vision, I think. I think I just saw and I wanted to do it and I felt that I can do this. You, you know, needed it was as coffee as that. that badly. Yeah, I needed that badly, <laughs> exactly. I remember studying in my, my house and in, uh, the, uh, my sister's kids were in the house and they were screaming and yelling. I was like, man, I just really want a place to go study. But, I mean, I can't go to Walmart, you know, and, and hang out in the, you know, the food court and do some homework there because it's too loud there. So that was pretty much all we had. Um, so I think it, it was not, you know, and it's funny because when I opened my shop, I had at least three people come to me and say, hey, Nathaniel, I, man, you stole my idea. And I'm like, well, I mean, you could have done it too. Ideas are cheap. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you could have done it too. I mean, anyone, you know, really can. Um, it's just a matter of are you going to do it, you know. And I can't remember the statistics, but it's, it's so many people, there's a statistic out, if you say you're going to do something, the likelihood of you actually doing it doesn't, doesn't follow up. So the, the idea of saying it, think, you think that you're actually doing it. But yeah, you, you get that get reward action. from your friends saying it's a good idea, you should, and that's enough reward that you don't actually take action. Right, it's like, um, you know, moving, but you're only going around in a circle. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, for me, it was just simply like, you know, this is something that I really want to do. It's something I wanted to offer the cities, and it's never been about the four walls of a business. It was about the concept and the culture that I was going to create. And I really just believed it almost blind, blindly, you know, with, without, you know, the whole saying, you know, uh, ignorance is bliss. I am definitely a product of that, for sure. And the innocence of youth, it's beautiful. <laughs> Kelly, we have this romantic notion of the artist in his studio following his heart, making art. You know, we have, we have those pictures in our head. But when you're also your own salesperson at festivals and you, you see how people respond to your various pieces, can you, at that point, still be obliviously willful and artistically adventurous, or do you find yourself gravitating towards making the kind of art pieces that sell? Yeah, you can get, uh, get caught up in going down that rabbit hole of making what you think people want to buy in order to, to, to keep the bills paid. And to be perfectly honest with you, I do a little bit of both to balance it. I've always believed that if you when you're following your, your, your passion, you're following that, uh, that inspiration, that's when you make your best work. It's when you're trying to please somebody else, when you're trying to make what you think other people want, that your work comes, it gets a little watered down, it's a little lackluster. But to a certain degree, if you're being practical, you might have to say, you know what, I have to do a little bit of this, bread and butter, get the bills paid, and then I come over here, and then I make the stuff I really love. And it sells when, it, when and if it sells, but you, it takes that pressure off of it having to sell. That way you can make what you really want and let it wait for that right person to come. Do you still live with that niggling doubt that there's this piece that, you know, if you had a year to make it, could sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars and be that defining piece and... I, I think so. I so said there, there's a lot of... Um, Again, you have that, uh, that business mind always working of when I'm making something, I have to keep in mind what the, the customer wants to spend or what I can. Because a lot of times when I'm doing custom work, 
that's, where, that's kind of where we start. I say, okay, what do you want? You can tell me what you want, I'm gonna tell you what it's gonna cost, or you can tell me what you wanna spend, and I can tell you what you can have. And that's usually the way it goes. People usually kind of have a little bit of a, a budget in mind, so I work to fit that budget. With money no object, people always say, can you make this? It's like, well, yeah, I can, do you wanna pay for it? Do you wanna, and then in some cases, it's do you wanna pay for the time it's gonna take me to experiment to learn how to do this. In some cases, it's better for me to just pass that work on to uh, a contemporary who I know is more skilled in that in that particular area. Or differently skilled, not necessarily, well, yes. Yeah. Nate, it's the same with you really with coffee. I recently listened to a podcast about a $25 cup of coffee. And at the end of it, I was kind of desperate to try it. So, and coffee has that thing, do you, roast coffee that you love or do you roast coffee that's right for the market that you're aiming at or is it a bit of both um so i definitely saw that being a problem when we first started roasting um again when we when we finally you know opened my roaster up it was kind of there weren't many out here in louisiana so i remember visiting you in the early early uh, days yeah it was uh i again you know even when I, from the first shop, I was, you know, kind of laughed at. And when I opened the roaster, like, why, why are you doing this too, you know? So I've, I've always kind of been in the, right in the beginning lines, I guess you can say. But, um, so we, we saw this problem. And I think a, a lot of what I do is spend a lot of energy figuring out where the market's going, where, how do I convey what I want to the consumer and, and how do I get it into their hands? So, yeah, I definitely saw that, that problem being, uh, being something that we would be challenged with and um, so we do a little bit of a both I guess you can say we do what we what we really believe the coffee needs to be when we roast uh, but we do like a subtle thing we wanted when we first opened we wanted to say that it's an origin roast not medium roast light roast dark roast because we wanted to roast to what we thought was just like wine does we care where it comes from right exactly. we don't care how it's yeah. exactly and so and that was but we knew that our market was not gonna it wasn't there yet you know light roast medium roast so things like that just little subtleties there. medium we, roast in south louisiana yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know we had that but then we have our partners that we're with people who buy from us wholesale so what we do is tell them that you know we want you to consider us your personal roaster so if you want something roasted a certain way, we'll do it for you. Um, there are certain coffees that we won't mess the integrity with, but there's some things that we will do for them, you know, kind of thing. I know that Nate goes and visits the coffee, where the coffee is produced sometimes mm -hmm. to get to know it. Do you go and visit trees and the wood that you get <laughs> and see how it grows before you use it? Is that part of your process? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I've, I've kind of gotten... Uh, Maybe I've just kind of fallen into a, 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 a area where I'm comfortable in a certain type of wood that I like to use. I have experimented over the years with what different types you, of wood. Primarily, I like to use cedar. Uh, I like the way it cures. I like the colors. I like the grain. I like the fact that it has a lot of uh, imperfections that I'll go back and I'll refill with wood putty. And it's got a lot of character and texture to it. Uh, Whereas uh, certain other, like an oak or a pecan or a lot of those, they'll uh, take a long time to dry and they'll split really bad. And if you don't have the equipment to properly It's amazing dry, how yeah. alike these two things are yeah. because it's exactly the same with coffee beans. You have to dry them at the right... Sure, absolutely. Yeah. What is the one thing that changed for you, Nate, after you went and visited where the coffee grew what changed about your process or your mindset or your business thoughts um 
you know, I, th I think a lot of times when we look at something on the TV, we, we there's an absence there. You know, there's a distance from that. And I think it's important, you know, we can study all we want. We can talk about how farmers are poor and the conditions they live in and all this stuff like that. But until you actually visit and see with your own eyes and you feel with your own hands and all this stuff and walk where they actually walked, it, it brings a, a whole different uh, perspective. So for me, it was um, it was vital if I wanted to convey to the customers what it was about, you know, because it's not just about, you know, just one cup of coffee. There was something more to it that I wanted to convey to the consumers. So, and I couldn't do that unless I actually been a part of it. So, I think it was important for us so to do that. But yeah, I mean, we we've spent energy with with the farmer to help cultivate a better, you know, lifestyle for their farmers. How, as a local roaster that's gradually spread in and one day I don't think will be known as a local roaster except here, how do you compete with Starbucks, especially with roasting and packaging, selling sure. the coffee? How? So uh, there's one thing that I've always uh, tried to tell my managers, you know, if there's a new shop that opens up, a new roaster, whatever it is, is, you know, there are things that they're going to do better than what we are going to do. So do we play the game that they're playing or do we have our own game? What, what are we about? And we focus on that. Because we spend too much energy figuring, trying to um, be someone else or yeah, chase something else. or Then you're only ever copying. Yeah, you're only ever yeah. copying. And we never wanted to copy. That was not our goal ever. And that's, you know, I really power, like, keep my head down and I look at what we're doing and I really try not to focus on what anyone else is doing. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with Nathaniel Johnson, the owner of Rev Coffee Roasters, and chainsaw artist Kelly Guidry. Kelly, what happens when something you do becomes so popular that other people start doing it? Do you then change what you're doing, or do you...? It, like I said, it, it's happened a time or two, and I've had friends get, ups, get upset on my behalf. And, I've been and upset call me and behalf. get all worked up, and I said, you know, I said, it's, it's, none of us are reinventing the wheel. And we're all uh, uh, inspired by different things. With a chainsaw, you could. And you're learning. <laughs> yeah, you, could, you could make another wheel. Yeah, but. <laughs> but what? But but if if I'm doing uh, if if I'm following my passion, if I'm fo like he, like uh, Nate was saying, I'm not trying to be the next this person. I'm trying to be the best that I am. I'm trying to make my best product. I'm following what I you know, trying to do the best thing I can do and people are going to gravitate toward that in, in itself. So, and as it, even if somebody copies, it's still a copy. Yes. Let's it, go back to how you started your business. How did you, did you fall into festival-based sales? Was it just something you tried and then got mm -hmm. better and better at? How did that become mm -hmm. the strategy to sell your stuff? Uh, my uh, my transition from advertising to to, uh, to full-time sculpture was very much kind of uh, sudden and like you said I was didn't have enough sense to know that it wouldn't work so I <laughs> so I jumped in mm -hmm. and by the time I realized it shouldn't be working it was so it I was feel like <laughs> our business advice today is hey your business and advice know nothing <laughs> and I was in my mid late 20s at the time so it was a uh, but the thing was is I uh, took what little savings I had and my first thought was okay I have to have a product first so I just made as much as I could and started knocking on doors and just kind of trying anything Wait, but festival. literally knocking on doors oh or? well uh, uh, galleries uh, uh, anywhere that I, that I thought would maybe let me show my work and uh, 
it, it just so happened that right around festival, you're supposed to apply months and months in advance. And I was able, I knew somebody and they kind of got me shoehorned in right at the last minute for, uh, this was maybe in 2000, I think, 2001 was my, my first festival. And from that point, everything kind of turned around. Then I started having people call, calling me and inviting me to come show places. And, uh, and the same night, at one time you didn't know how to roast coffee. Correct. There's a thought, I'll be a coffee roaster. How did you go from not knowing how to roast coffee to knowing how to roast coffee? Yeah, um, well, at first I, I thought it was this really non-tangible thing. And um, so one day I realized like, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna, something I wanna do is something I'm, I'm just gonna dive in it, you know? Uh, so I actually went to Portland, Oregon when I first learned how to roast. Uh, so I went to the SCA, which is the Specialty Coffee Association. Um, it's one of the largest coffee organizations in the world. And uh, so yeah, and I learned around the best. So you just went to coffee school, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Nice. And I'm still still learning. So we still have you know, several classes in my belt. Nate and Kelly, this is part of the show that we call another great idea. <laughs> Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on now. You can take advice like this and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great. Or you can take your friend's advice and it turns out to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take your advice? What happened? I can't really recall if I've had people tell me of an idea. Of, they must know. tell you every day. <laughs> <laughs> He's just being really nice I here, isn't he? I it out sometimes. Yes. Yeah, so. I mean, I definitely have people tell me how I should you know, run the business and what I should do there. <laughs> um, you know, at a certain point, it just gets kind of, you know... It's just noise. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but, you know, I, I really do try to listen to everyone's, you know, what they... Because you never know, you know, from the outside perspective, bird's eye view is always, you know, great. So I have to do that as a business owner myself, is take a step back and look at it and say, hey, where, where can I change, you know? But um, as for other ideas, you know, I really... I don't know if I can think of a particular idea right off the hand, when it comes to a new business idea, I mean, I know people have mentioned for me to, to do more real estate. So that uh, was that. You have been creeping into real estate. We have noticed this. Yes. So that's something that I've been interested in. So that would be the, probably the only thing that I can really think of that would, I was jumping into. But, but yeah, real estate would probably be it. Kelly. Uh, it's funny because, like you said, you'll get a lot of people uh, who say, you know what you should do? You should make those leads. <laughs> you, know you, yeah. you know what you should do? Mm -hmm. And uh, used to aggravate me, and then now I just say, uh huh, or or, or maybe. <laughs> but, because but if like twenty you said, it's, people say the same thing, yeah, they might be onto something. You, you partly you, you you partly dismiss it, but you do kind of take it and say, okay, well, I'm going to consider that. But sometimes you will go back and consider it later and go, well, you know what? Maybe maybe part of that does have some value. Does have so so it's it's a little bit of both. You don't want to completely dismiss everything, but you don't want to just run and do everything that everybody tells you because you've the reason we are doing our own thing is because we don't like people telling us what to do. That's part of it. So, Nate, you drop out of business school to start a business. Correct. Would you, sorry, would you recommend that to everyone that's in business school right now just to quit and start a business? Uh, no, I would not. Uh, I actually very much uh, believe in education. 
But um, just not for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I guess um, I think it's just um, there are some things that I definitely could have learned if I would have stayed in. That would have made things a little bit easier, I think, in my road. Um, I definitely learned the hard way and a lot of things. But um, but yeah, I would I would definitely suggest if I can go back, I w- it would be a good idea. But you know, business is also about timing. And um, for me, it was I need to do it now or not do it at all. So if you're in that boat and that's what you feel you need to do and you just can't let it go, then yeah, maybe so. But um, And you've stayed learning just the things that are most relevant to your business. Yes. I mean, I, I read a lot of business books um, and I've obviously been went to coffee school, if you will. And <laughs> been, just renamed the whole thing coffee school. <laughs> uh, and, you know, been educated in that way and, and just learning from other entrepreneurs and really spending a lot of time with them, um, just really taking it all in. So, and so c- college still is relevant? I think so. I really do. When it, comes to, when it comes to business, I think there's a lot of things you can take. I mean, there's a lot of things that you, you won't learn that you can only learn when you're actually doing it. And You'll eventually learn some things that you know you learn from, co- like you would learn from college if you don't go. But it would take much longer, and you're gonna bypass that if you went to school for it. And Kelly, see, on the next table here is a, an 18-year-old artist wannabe who, who doesn't, you know, wants to go straight into working for themselves. What would be the real-world advice you gave them? Uh, real-world advice, I would say, if you really wanted to, if you decided you were gonna be, want to be an art business, and you wanna. Don't forget about the word business. (laughs) If you don't have a a wife or a mama or somebody who's going to do the business part of it for you, you're going to need to learn either go to take some business classes, or like Nate was saying, you can if you have the drive, you can self-teach yourself anything you want. You can read books, you can take little seminars, you can. It's there to learn, but you have to get a handle on the business side. And as a graphic because, designer, yeah. you've always got one eye that's kind of between art and business anyway. Absolutely. So Absolutely. you already had yeah. that side to yeah. you. So to me, it seems a yeah. natural... Well, I always say, as compared to the average artist, I'm a great businessman. Compared to the average businessman, I'm a terrible businessman. <laughs> but it's a, If you it, could, in an ideal world, have someone else run the business side mm-hmm. and you just do the art and never worry about the that money. That would be amazing, yeah. That Nate, would be amazing. If you had to choose between coffee and business, I think I know the answer here. <laughs> I think it was a, there was a switch. I think business became kind of my, my goal you know, be as great as I could be as an entrepreneur in this business world. And coffee happens to be the vehicle that I've, I've been in. So um, I'm very, I'm intrigued by both. I really am. And I have a passion for both. But I, you know, I think at the end of the day, I really want to be uh, a really good entrepreneur. I don't know if either of you had a goal when you started to but you both play a major part in this community now. We think of Rev as a, a local roaster and people are very attached to it. And Kelly, your work represents local artists to a lot of people. For a lot of people, you're the first artist they buy um, because they see you at festivals. Was that ever a thought or was it kind of a shock when you realized it happened or did you just realize for the first time today? Um, I think uh, for me, it definitely was a shock. Uh, I. I remember the first two weeks I was open in business and someone said, hey, you're going to open one in Lafayette? And I laughed. It's like, I'm never going to be able to compare, uh, compete with the big guys over there. Never. And uh, 
So, and then one day recently I was interviewed and they said, well, how does it feel to, you know, that you kind of considered, you know, Lafayette's roaster? And I was like, I actually never put it that way. And, um, and I, I guess I still don't really quite feel like that. But If I was to make great. a care package from Lafayette, your coffee, your art would be part of what represents Lafayette. Yeah, and that's, that's awesome. I would have never really dreamed of it, honestly. I mean, it's... Uh, it's That's definitely a humbling. The name Rev, which means sure. dream. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely it's great. Kelly, when did you realize that you were an artist that represents Acadiana? Probably not until I'm. It's it come an odd thing. I uh, grew up in Lafayette, went to school, everything. lived lived in uh, Lafayette during college, and uh, in 2000 moved to Brobridge. At kind of right, and this was the house my dad grew up in. This was. Uh, and something started to resonate around that time. I started to really have uh, a respect for the local culture, where before I never really connected to it, didn't think about it that much. It wasn't, uh, growing up, of course, in high school, it wasn't cool to be Cajun, yes. that wasn't hip, but it, but it, I really started to embrace it and, and want, want to research it and want to represent it. I've had to come to terms with the fact I will never be cool enough to be Cajun. <laughs> There's no doubt it takes an enormous amount of courage to follow your dreams, turn your back on the world of education or employment and launch your own business. Sometimes those risks don't pay off and that's okay. You can also, sorry, sometimes those risks don't pay off and that's okay. You can always recalibrate and change direction, but sometimes those risks do pay off and you end up being where you want and doing what you want. Nathaniel and Kelly, you're both great examples of risk takers who are making a real success of taking your life and your business into your own hands. It's been inspiring and instructive to spend time with you. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Chainstore artist Kelly Guidry and Nathaniel Johnson, owner of Rev Coffee Roasters. You can find out more about Nathaniel's coffee and Kelly's artworks by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Café Vermilionville in Lafayette. Café V is open Monday to Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morell. Our researcher is Anne Christian. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get podcasts. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and krvs 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Cafe Vermilionville for more business, Acadiana style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com.
and by Wyndham Garden Lafayette, and by Sure and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Thank you.